0: just pray for the talk. Uh, Lord, we pray that it would be clear, that it would be true, that it would be from you, um, and that it would change us. Lord God, we don't want just entertainment or formality. We want your dynamic word which uh, separates uh, um, the inner heart and uh, uh, causes us to be laid bare for you. Uh, Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. Um, On the 15th of January, uh, 2015, uh, a middle-aged guy uh, wearing this sort of parka and the hood up, um, he stood on the the border between Turkey and Syria. It was a cold day, but the the sun was out, and he stood there and he was looking confused. Uh, He wasn't sure what to do next. Um, and then there was a street sweeper nearby and he was like look, I'm trying to cross into Syria, uh, uh, how do I do that? And uh, the street sweeper seems to have been a canny guy, uh, uh, knew where he could make a quick buck. Um, so he charged him uh, 25, uh, 75 lira, uh, showed him this little gap in the fence that the guy could crawl through. The, um, this, uh, this guy crawled through it and then ran uh, across the border to join ISIS. He wanted to join ISIS to become a good Muslim. Um, His name, or his name that he chose then, uh, it's sort of hidden at the moment, uh, but you'll find out why. Uh, His name uh, that he chose was Abu Ali, um, and he was a short man, or is still a short man, uh, and he was bald. So um, I'm not sure uh, what image you have of an ISIS fighter, uh, perhaps someone sort of young and vigorous. Well, this wasn't him. Uh, He was around, I think he was 38 at the time uh, and he'd indulged for a lifetime in smoking and drinking. Um, Again, sort of your change uh, in perception of what he looked like. Um, He knew when he went out there that he was not cut out to be a fighter. He didn't expect to roam round uh, with a gun. Uh, But the thing is, he'd fallen out with his wife, Um, they put a little bit of pressure on him and he didn't like it. And his government job, which was completely corrupt, had uh, kind of uh, uh, fallen through. And so it was at a loose end, essentially, and so he thought we'd go and join ISIS. Um, so he went out there and he proved to be a little bit of a problem to uh, his trainers. Um, he uh, was, uh, sort of went on this training course uh, to be a fighter. Um, and he repeatedly just pulled up to the side and said no, I can't run, uh, my lung's on, not uh, coping with it. Um, he, uh, when he went once or twice into battle, uh, he point blank refused to wear a suicide vest or anything like that. Um, he constantly complained that his knees hurt um, and eventually after a series of, uh, of uh, weeks and months, he said you know what, I'm not cut out for this, I want a desk job. And that was his game plan all along. He wanted a desk job in ISIS so he could like tick the box of being a good Muslim but without all the threat. Um, Eventually his um, his commanders got so fed up with him uh, that they left him to his own devices in this civilian house. Um, and it seems that there was another slacker there alongside him and uh, so in this civilian house they had electricity which is very rare and so they ended up watching uh, TV all the time Uh, they joined ISIS and ended up watching TV in this civilian house they watched films like Rambo and um, they uh, watched music videos uh, together Um, I think it was about after four months uh, he got a WhatsApp message from his wife uh, and he decided to make up uh, and uh, he, he, uh, he ran back home. Um, and it's an incredible uh, uh, story of, uh, of someone uh, that I find incredibly relatable uh, uh, that had gone out uh, to fight a war and then sort of just changed the rules. I wonder if you've ever been a shirker. You know, uh, uh, lots of people have expectations for you, but you duck and dive and uh, avoid any responsibility. Um, I wonder if you've ever tried working with someone like that. Uh, um, If you've ever uh, uh, been in a team with someone who uh, would just rather watch Rambo on TV uh, than actually uh, do any work. I wonder if you've ever had to manage or lead someone Uh, I've been a manager uh, at work for sort of 15 years uh, and there are some fascinating characters and their internal dialogue is mysterious to me as to how they could excuse some of their behaviour. I've led a uh, a church for about a similar amount of time and it's fascinating again the excuses people uh, give as to why they shouldn't do whatever you've asked them to do. And I've now been a parent for about 10 years. And let me tell you, that is uh, uh, that's a whole new ball game. You think you've known all about humanity by being a, a pastor and a manager, and then you find children just do it uh, uh, to a whole new uh, level. Dealing with and managing people uh, to one particular goal or cause can be flipping hard work. If, uh, if you're any of you trying to do it remotely through Teams um, at the moment, on uh, um, sort of working from home, you'll know something, uh, what it is to try and get someone to do who you can't actually physically coerce into doing it. Um, if you are homeschooling, you will know something of that challenge as well. You see, whether we like it or not, people have their own ideas, their own priorities, their own opinions. Um, and it can seem impossible to make them do anything that they don't want to do, to uh, uh, coerce them into to do anything uh, that they don't feel is beneficial for them. Now, the Apostle Paul knew this. He experienced it time and time again. He uh, uh, would often go into an area, he would plant a church, he would create this a uh, 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 fellowship of believers with clear beliefs and practices and said this is what you need to do and very quickly he was undermined, he, uh, his instructions were forgotten uh, and uh, just whatever he thought was neglected in favour of whatever the flavour of the moment and you find that in virtually all his letters uh, again and again these frustrations with dealing with people who don't want to be led. I want you uh, uh, to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. It says this in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse uh, 15. In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. Paul had found a whole range of churches across the area and the church in Philippi was the only one that gave uh, uh, towards the gospel. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. At the start of the passage, we find that no one would help Paul. He was going out, he was proclaiming Jesus, he was raising new churches, he was causing the kingdom of God to come to new places, and there were churches that just weren't really interested. They were petty and lazy and stingy, they were focused on themselves, uh, they were awkward to deal with, and Paul just left them to their own devices. And you know what, the same can be said for us as well, can't it, sometimes. Uh, uh, People ask for help with something and we are so concentrated on our own little world that we cannot think above our problems. And it seems that Paul butted against this again and again. However, in the midst of this very familiar problem, we find something beautiful and remarkable. This congregation in Philippi, They systematically went round their congregation, they raised funds, and then they went to bless Paul and help with the proclamation of the gospel. So that it would go into areas that they didn't know about, that they weren't aware of, that they weren't connected to. And we find this abundant generosity that Paul really relishes. And uh, we also find that they they don't just send it by courier, but they send it by a guy who uh, Paul, uh, and we'll look at this in a minute, Paul grows friends with, and uh, this guy who helps Paul personally. And Paul is just delighted by the Philippians. These other churches, you know what, they have failed him time and time again, but this, this church in Philippi, this congregation in this city, have caused him a smile on his face and a delight in his heart. He stands back and he applauds them. He says, you're amazing. He goes, this money you gave me, he goes, I don't need it, God supplies all my needs, but you have been generous to me and it's a fragrant offering to God. God delights, it's not something, it's not just a transaction between this church and their apostle it is a delight to the father for this church to uh, bless this apostle and he also says it's a pleasing sacrifice because you know it's a sacrifice to give money. It is a sacrifice to give money that you don't get anything for it. It is a sacrifice to be generous when you will see no uh, comeback. And Paul goes on and he says these marvellous words, my God shall supply every need. If you give to the point that it hurts, give to the point that you seem to go without, my God will supply all your needs. And that is a promise in scripture. This is not a rousing uh, moment to swell the church coffers so we can I, um so we can do uh, uh, new things. It is simply uh, an admission. that scripture teaches that when we give, God will supply our needs. If the money we have doesn't meet our needs, then I wonder if we're giving God his due. It seems counterintuitive to give away, but to give away is pleasing to God, and then in response he will supply all your needs. As I uh, grow older, I find um, uh, an increasing appreciation for the bits of the Bible which can't be sort of squeezed into a quick devotional. It's not like an emergency verse uh, from Psalms to get me through the day, to peck me up, or uh, some sort of uh, 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 little phrase that you can sort of extract from its context. And create a little bite sized sermon on. I like to uh, uh, something a little bit more substantial. I, I realise that many, uh, it's nice to just be quickly encouraged. It's nice to just be told what to do in a situation. But my soul, as I get older, needs a little bit more substantial nourishment. I need more than just one or two verses. I need more than just one or two passages. I uh, love to. Um, and this might be uh, slightly unusual, but I love to look at the cryptic language of sort of Revelation and Ezekiel and read the apocalyptic language that has wheels and fires and dragons and all sorts of rich imagery that you can't just go, oh, that means that it has to be something that filters down into your soul. Even as I got older, started to uh, uh, enjoy some of the rambling prophets that just seemed to go off on one again and again. And you, they uh, just expose the disastrous nature of things like sin. And you just realise how grievous it is to God. Uh, and all these behavioural traits that have no place in the kingdom. And uh, just being, rather than just being told, do not get angry, you just read these prophets, indictments of those people that would tolerate all sorts of sin in their midst. And uh, it's it's in this frame of mind that I really like the book of Job. It is not something you dip into. It is not something you get pithy little quotes from. It is not for the light-hearted reader. It is a carefully constructed Dialogue. It is a drama. Something is going on that is very difficult to dip in and out of. We find this protagonist, the main character Job. He gets hit with grief after grief. And you you hear virtually in the pages his heart breaking as his children pass away. And there is that, just that horrible moment where he just rends his garments and he cries out, why God? Why am I facing this absolute catastrophe in my life? I want to read to you one of the subsequent events to that. Turn to Job chapter 2 if you can. It says this, Job chapter 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Tamanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Naamanite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathise with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognise him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. It's easy to see at that point that these are friends that care deeply about Joe. He is a, a friend and they come and they spend time with him days and nights and they uh, observe that custom of mourning and they sit and they don't try and uh, sort of uh, cover his grief with bland words, oh, tomorrow's another day, or, or some other, some trite, say. They sort of acknowledge the deepness of Job's grief. And we find these people, they know the importance of fellowship. They know the importance of physical contact. They know the importance uh, of just coming alongside someone. And they know the inadequacy of words. They come and without a word they sit with him for seven days. And seven nights. And I just want to acknowledge and praise God for those friends that know how to do that. That know when we have been afflicted by some grief. That know it is not a small matter. But come and really feel our pain that make us feel that we are known and loved, that make us feel that we are not somehow on the outskirts of humanity, but we are known and loved and appreciated. And what we're going through is legitimate. And praise God for the friends that do that around us and those people in this church who are good at doing that. And from such an auspicious start, though, things go wrong. If you know the book of Job, you will know some of the things that are said afterwards. So this is uh, uh, after sitting with Job for those uh, seven days and seven nights. um, We find one of the friends speak after Job speaks. um, And it says this in uh, verse 7. Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Job has just lost all his fortune and his family. And then this friend called Eliphaz says, those who sow trouble reap it. I wonder if that is the greatest pastoral advice ever given. It is certainly not. And he goes on, and the breath of God they perish at the blast of his anger, they are no more. The lions may roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. Um, the lion perishes for the lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. A word is secretly brought to me, my ears caught a whisper of it. Amid disquieting dreams in the night, when deep sleep falls on people, fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit guided past my face and on the hair of my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could now tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay? In life as really puts the boot in to poor old Job. Job had suffered this terrible loss and Eliphaz was essentially saying, you reap what you sow, you have got from God judgment. You have been evil and this is the consequences of it. And as you read of these friends, what started so well ends so badly. And uh, uh, right at the end of the book, Job has to make sacrifices to them because they are such a mess. And um, they contrast so starkly with this guy Epaphroditus. Um, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. This is the, uh, uh, the, the, the main passage I wanted us to look at and uh, devour. And it says this in uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 25. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that you may see him again. You may be glad and may have less anxiety. So then, welcome in the Lord with great joy and honour because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. We find this guy, he's simply supposed to be a courier, he's simply sent to Paul with the cash to help him out of a difficult situation. But Epaphroditus does so much more than just be a delivery driver. Paul celebrates him as a brother, co-worker and fellow soldier. If you think of the Apostle Paul and if you think of all his adventures or misadventures depending on your perspective, And then you imagine him uh, calling you brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. We get a flavour of the efforts Epaphroditus must have got up to, of the diligence and enthusiasm he must have embraced uh, to help Paul in Rome proclaim the Gospel. Epaphroditus must have shown great kindness to Paul. He must have shown great care and attention and he must have uh, uh, gone out uh, uh, to proclaim the gospel in that place in a way that just thrilled Paul that knocked his socks off. He must have been tireless in his efforts For Paul, this man of God, this guy who knew what it was to suffer for the cross, who knew what it was to be shipwrecked and stoned and starved, for him to call him fellow soldier. It doesn't explicitly tell us exactly what Epaphroditus gets up to, but our imaginations can easily fill in the blanks from Paul's uh, uh, great celebration of him. And there's just two things I want us to hear from Epaphroditus at this moment. Be a good friend. Be a good friend to the other believers around you. Come near to them and be kind. You don't have to be uh, uh, an incredibly gifted caterer or uh, someone that can offer uh, uh, wonderful financial advice or anything else, to simply come along and care and love and share in someone's highs and lows is invaluable. Paul in prison in Rome found that in Aphrodite. Job found it in his three friends until they opened their mouths. Um, And so just encourage you, it is good to have good friends in the faith. I know there are people in this church that I knew before we started church and I call them friends and when things go wrong they're often the first people I run to and I really hope and pray that you have good friends in the faith when things go wrong that you can run to and they uh, can feel the depth of your feeling and they may not be able to do anything but you can feel yourself hurt. And the second thing I think Epaphroditus at this point would teach us is that it is good to not only come alongside other people, but it's good to help them in their good works. You know, God has ensured that every believer has good works in store for them to do. There is a purpose in our lives to achieve. And the invitation Epaphroditus gives us is to come alongside those around us who are fulfilling their purpose and help them. They uh, are doing things out of love for other people and we join them and say, this is valuable, let me join in. I may not feel uh, uniquely called to what you're doing but I want to uh, uh, come alongside you and help you in this. Where we lend a shoulder to the yoke that other people are carrying. It sometimes felt like that when we started this church, people weren't overly interested in starting a new church, but uh, they thought it was something that uh, seemed a good idea and uh, so they joined us and we're just so grateful for all the ones that have done it in the past and and continue uh, uh, to come alongside us. And we've known other people that have felt uh, 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 the call of God in their lives and we've tried to rally round them, whether we've uh, uh, sent them to Haiti or Hong Kong or uh, sort of uh, um, enabled them to do something more locally. We try and help each other achieve uh, their purposes in God. And the invitation is do the same for other people. Find what's the far in the heart that God has given them and how you can help them do that. A few years ago, um, we thought we were doing something novel by having sort of internet live in a, uh, in a church meeting and that ship has sailed, isn't it? Um, and uh, so we had this Mission Sunday where we had some sort of missionaries in, uh, we, had some, uh, we had some pre-recorded videos and we also had this uh, live transmission uh, from Africa. I don't know whether you remember Ian and Katie, they're still in Macedonia serving God. Uh, they came and spoke in person, uh, Christie let us know about the work uh, amongst the orphans in Haiti, um, It's really good to just focus our minds and, and I wonder how many of you have thought about them in this pandemic, how many of you have asked well, what's going on with them, how many of you have reached out and thought about people outside your comfort zone outside your fellowship it's always a challenge isn't it not just to uh, focus on your own little world but consider other people that may be struggling a whole lot more but we also had a a video chat with uh, Pete's old boss so Pete was in Africa uh, for a little while a year or two um, and he had a a, a boss called Gordon McKillop um, his wife Sybil, um, they're in Zambia now after the uh, troubles in Congo. Um, And uh, so we had in live transmission and uh, I had this carefully crafted script that I wanted them to follow, that we were gonna bring a sort of moment of teaching and inspiration of. Um, And uh, Gordon McKillop was not one, it seems to follow my breast laid plans. Um, And he just went off on one. Uh, uh, Went off my script and he spoke fervently on uh, commitment bravery uh, and risk in the mission field it was very much a case of you need to be brave and go and do uh, god's uh, uh, bidding he was uh, scoffing at pensions at insurance and risk assessments all these safety nets that uh, first world adults Uh, uh, try and put in place to show that they're responsible and wise Uh, and he said you know what you use that to stop doing what God wants you to do you use these things to stop being brave for Jesus you use them as an excuse for not achieving Christ's purposes where you are and uh, I was uh, certainly taken aback uh, uh, by his fervency um, and uh, suddenly all these things that I've been taught and raised up as being really responsible and grown up to adopt suddenly and say yeah but what happens if they're slowing you down what happens if uh, God wants more from you than that I wonder what the last risky thing you did with God was now I'm not talking about risking other people's lives because that's what some people are doing in the pandemic aren't they? They're just risking other people's lives by uh, not obeying the rules. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm doing something risky where your own reputation, where your own uh, opportunity for failing, where your own even life is risked for God. This is as much as a challenge to me as to you. When was the last time you did anything risky? For God. Epaphroditus was commissioned by the Christians in Philippi to travel to Rome with a gift. He went on a, over, so it's about between 700 and a thousand mile journey and there was no combustion engine and most of it's by land and so it looks like he travelled by foot for well over 700 miles and he had this Uh, bag of cash I'm not sure whether it had sort of swag written on it Uh, uh, but he would travel uh, leaving behind the landing which is kind of modern day Greece, he would travel 700 miles to the capital of empire, travel to Rome itself during this epic journey we find Epaphroditus falling severely sick And it looks like death was very near. I wonder what your response would have been. I told you Epaphroditus you shouldn't have made that journey. You should have sent it by expert courier. I told you you should have taken a medicine kit. Oh, what a stupid thing to do. We could have spent that money here. We could have benefited the Christians or the poor uh, rather than send it all the way to Rome. Rome is rich. Why are you bothering about that? All these Um, responses to Epaphroditus feeling sick on the road on an outrageous journey to Rome. I can hear all sorts of management meetings I've ever had looking at that moment saying, what a stupid idea. Who let that happen? Who can we blame for that idiocy? But he went. And even though death hovered by him, he survived. Paul, who seems to have got to love him loads, got really distressed. You hear the sorrow he has for the sickness. And Epaphroditus, he was worried that he'd kind of let down his church. You know, I've tried to give Paul this stuff to help him and I'm worried I'm gonna fail. But in the midst of this tragedy, God's grace, God's mercy shines through. And our hero, this man that does something that many people would say is foolish, that many people would write off as irresponsible, our hero recovers. And Paul no longer needs to grieve. He is glad and he calls this guy brother co-worker, fellow soldier. And Epaphroditus gets to minister in Rome and the Philippines, they get to help out in outreach in the capital of empire. I hope you notice Paul doesn't blame God for Epaphroditus' sickness on his journey but he rejoices in the healing. He gets excited that Epaphroditus got spared on this long journey. And Paul makes a lot, I hope you hear it, of Epaphroditus risking his life for Christ, saying this is a good thing. Every risk assessment I've ever written would say this was a stupid thing. That this was an irresponsible thing. That this is something that someone, uh, uh, an adult in the room, should have shot down very early on. But Paul says, no. It is a good thing. It is a thing to celebrate. It is a thing to rejoice. Paphroditus was so caught up with his saviour that he would happily give up his own life He happily stopped breathing so that his purposes could be achieved. This is uh, just drawing to an end. Let me uh, read this great quote from uh, G.K. Chesterton. The suicide is the opposite of a martyr. A martyr is a man who cares so much for something outside him that he forgets his own personal life. A suicide is a man who cares so little to anything outside him that he wants to see the last of everything. One wants something to begin, the other wants something, everything to end. In other words, the, the martyr is noble exactly because he confesses this link with life. Epaphroditus and I'm glad I've got that name right after practising it I alone, mean, to Paphroditus and Chesterton. Ask this of us. How do we look at the world? Are we so consumed with the prospect of Jesus coming to our friends, coming to our neighbours, coming to the strangers around us, that we would give up our self-respect, give up our time, give up our convenience and even give up our life so that he can come near them. How many of us are prepared to do that? How many of us have done it recently? If you're like me and you sometimes uh, bow out of risk and danger of the gospel if sometimes an opportunity arises and you know it is easier not to do it if you look sometimes for a safer and quieter and easier life I invite you to listen again to Epaphroditus in and his example and maybe allow the Uh, spirit of boldness that God gives us to risk a little more you may not have to go on a 700 mile journey by foot but the invitation is there to live a braver and more challenging and more risky life one where your life is not governed by risk assessments and insurance and pensions please uh, stand with me uh, in person and uh, if you're uh, at home because i just want to pray for us because um just it just fills the time to ask for bravery heavenly father we thank you that you so loved us that you sent your son to die for us that he gave up his life so that we could live lord god we see that as the pattern of our faith lord god we hear this example of Epaphroditus who made this journey to bless Paul and uh, there were so many reasons they could have had for not going but he went nevertheless and risked everything for the sake of Jesus Lord God I pray that you would help us do the same help us to discover that spirit of boldness that you've put in us to have that spirit of uh, adventure, that longing to serve you, even if it costs us ourselves, especially when it costs us ourselves. Lord God, we know this is not something natural, this is not something that we can just uh, uh, build up in ourselves, that a, a motivational talk can bring about. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to cause us to think less of ourselves and more. Of the lost world around us help us to be braver. help us to seek out the opportunities to advance the gospel oh God we're not talking about endangering other people in the pandemic but we are talking about being martyrs for you because Lord in the end our lives aren't ours and when we give it to you we gain so much more Heavenly Father I pray this over myself and over our church